Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, rescue workers are still digging through the rubble in a village in Yunnan province following Monday's deadly landslide. China's released a white paper on its efforts in international cooperation in the fight against terrorism. And Hamas is urging the World Health Organization to declare a famine zone in the Gaza Strip. In business, Air China is adding flights for the Spring Festival travel rush. In sports, China's top-ranked women's player at the Australian Open puts on a dominating performance. In culture and entertainment, ice and snow tourism in Sichuan province. Now checking the day's top stories. Rescue and disaster relief work is still underway in Yunnan after a landslide struck a mountainous village in the province. The number of people killed now stands at 20, while 24 others remain missing. Young Jinghao has the latest. It's been over 30 hours since the landslide struck the small village in Zhengxiong County in Yunnan province. According to local authorities, approximately 300,000 cubic meters of soil and rocks collapsed during the landslide. Behind me, the rescuers are still working against time to search for the buried villagers. So far, the rescue operation has involved approximately 1,000 responders who are using various equipment, including excavators, drones and life detection instruments for the operation. The rescue efforts are definitely encountering multiple challenges. First, the landslide has destabilized the mountain, increasing the risk of secondary disasters, and rescuers have to exercise extreme caution to avoid potential dangers. Meanwhile, the region is grappling with low temperatures due to uh, a cold wave sweeping across the entire province, and recent snowfall in the village is complicating the operation especially during nighttime. According to the local government, more than 200 villagers have been evacuated to safety. We visited a nearby elementary school used as a temporary shelter where the villagers are provided with emergency supplies, including beddings, winter coats, water and food. A local government said psychological assistance is also available for them. Meanwhile, the Ministry of Emergency Management and the Ministry of Finance have jointly allocated a disaster relief funds totally 15 million won, about 7 million US dollars to support disaster relief work. The local government says next they will take concrete measures to eliminate hidden risks and prevent any geological disasters from happening. That was Yang Jinghao reporting. Meanwhile, more than a thousand rescue workers equipped with 45 rescue dogs and 120 vehicles are carrying out search and rescue work at the site in Zhenshan County. The equipment includes excavators, loaders, and transport vehicles. Yuan Yunsheng with the National Workplace Safety Emergency Rescue Monitoring Team uh, says they deployed a, a special radar system uh, to search for the missing. We've sent out a slope monitoring radar vehicle to keep an eye on the mountainous areas across from the landslide site. Since that's the only way for rescue workers to get through, it's crucial that we keep a close watch on them. Insiders say the search and rescue work may face more difficulties in the coming days as Zhenshong will experience low temperatures along with rain and snow. More than 200 residents have evacuated to safer locations and hundreds of tents, quilts, 
belts and coats have been provided. Chinese authorities have allocated disaster relief funds totaling 50 million yuan, or roughly 7 million U.S. dollars, to support the disaster relief and emergency rescue work. China's activated an emergency response in the far western Xinjiang region after a magnitude 7.1 earthquake hit a county in Aksu Prefecture. The quake struck at uh, just past 2 in the morning Tuesday in Wuxi County along the mountainous border area between China and Kyrgyzstan. That was followed by several aftershocks as strong as 5.3. Six people were reported injured after rescue teams arrived at the village close to the epicenter where some houses and livestock sheds had collapsed. Authorities have sent materials for disaster relief to the quake zone. Power supply has been restored in some areas. Coming up, China's new white paper on the country's counterterrorism efforts. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. It's five minutes past the hour. China's State Council Information Office has released a white paper titled China's Legal Framework and Measures for Counterterrorism. White paper says terrorism is the common enemy of humanity, posing a grave threat to international peace and security. The document says China's a victim of terrorism and has long faced this threat. It says China's willing to work closely with other countries against terrorism. Wang Haiyang has details. The white paper mainly focuses on China's efforts that have been made on counterterrorism and its contribution to the countries and global security and stability. The document says China has long faced the real threat of terrorism, and it has always attached great importance to law-based counterterrorism efforts. It says China has accumulated experience by joining international conventions and treaties and amending and improving criminal laws. The white paper says a counterterrorism legal framework based on the constitution has been gradually formed in China thanks to more than four decades of experience. The document also points out China has regulated procedures for handling terrorist cases in accordance with the law. It says law enforcement and judicial agencies must exercise their statutory authority and powers to ensure the accurate and effective enforcement of the law. With their responsibilities clarified, Law enforcement and judicial agencies have put in place a strict accountability system. Judicial officials who are found to have violated the law in case management will be held accountable and given due punishment. Human rights are also one of the key elements in the white paper. It says China regards respecting and protecting human rights as an underlying principle in improving its legal framework and practices in the field of counterterrorism. It says China has carried out counterterrorism work in accordance with the law, safeguarding the legitimate rights and interests of citizens and organizations, and effectively curbing the spread of terrorism. The document also says China is willing to work with other countries to push forward counterterrorism cause as part of global governance. That was Wang Haiyang reporting. And for more on the white paper on counterterrorism, uh, Zhao Yang spoke to Professor Hua Zhengxin from the China University of Political Science and Law. First of all, um, why is having a legal framework crucial to counterterrorism? Uh, you know, terrorism is an international threat to all countries, including China. And China is also a victim of uh, terrorism. And international law and Chinese law has clarified that 
to build a counterterrorism system on the rule of law is you know, it's a basic principle. So I think that all countries, including China, I think the most important thing is to build and improve the legal framework to fight against terrorism. Therefore, I believe that the legal framework is crucial to fight against terrorism in, in, for all countries, including China. Now, the white paper says that uh, China's law enforcement and judicial agencies have promoted reform of the responsibility system. So can you explain to us how this reform has improved uh, China's counterterrorism? Campaign. As you know that on the Chinese criminal justice system, public security agencies, the People's Court and People's Procuratorate, they place a different responsibilities within the system. Uh, generally speaking, the Public Security Bureau are responsible for investigating the cases. The People's Procuratorate are responsible for deciding whether to arrest the accused and to initiate a public prosecution. And the People's Court have the passport responsibility to decide the case. So in recent years, China has improved its criminal justice system and to demarcate the responsibilities of these agencies in a more clear way. So with their responsibilities more clear, now judicial officials who have been found violate the law will be held accountable and given due punishment. And if their acts constitute a crime, they should be prosecuted for their criminal responsibility. Do you think China has done enough to make uh, the handling of terrorism cases more transparent to the public? What measures has China taken? Well, in recent years, I do believe that China has made a significant efforts to improve the transparency. For example, the People's Court have established a platform for the timely release of information on judicial process and judgments. The People's Procuratorate have increased transparency by releasing information on their activities and affairs and have used information technology to establish platform for this purpose. And the public security bureaus have also made their activities more open and accepted scrutiny from citizens and a wider society of law enforcement process and outcomes. That was Professor Hua Zhengxin from the China University of Political Science and Law talking about the significance of China's newly released white paper on counterterrorism. China's grain output set a record high in 2023, reaching more than 690 million tons. It's also the ninth consecutive year for the country's grain harvest to surpass 650 million tons. Olivia Hu reports. China's grain output hit a new high last year. The Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs says it's a strong guarantee for the country's food security. Officials told the media China produced over 695.4 million metric tons of grain in 2023. The record high also represents an annual increase of 1.3 percent. The country's annual grain output has stayed above 650 million tons for nine years running. The Agriculture Ministry also says China's grain output is well-structured with sufficient reserves, which ensure the country's food security. It pledges to further strengthen policy support to bolster the sector. While China's grain output has set a record high in 2023, reaching more than 690 million tons, it's also the ninth consecutive year for China's grain harvest to surpass 650 million tons. Authorities held a press conference summarizing the overall performance of China's agriculture and rural economy in 2023. That was Olivia He on China's grain output last year. In the meantime, Professor Liu Baocheng from the University of International Business and Economics uh, emphasizes that stable grain output is important to China's food security. 
Food security is key to provide confidence to our national development and also industrial output. Actually, China has uh, rolled out uh, a number of programs for the rural development. In the first place, one is really to expand the arable land. And uh, more importantly, it's really the integration of the uh, farming technologies together with the uh, enthusiasm and momentum of the rural uh, people, uh, in which the uh, we can see it's not only the uh, increase of the yield, but also the quality of those yields. And the uh, second dimension is really the integration between the rural life versus the urban life, where uh, more of the companies are motivated to participate in the engaging uh, rural development. That was Professor Liu Baocheng speaking about the significance of China's grain output last year. The Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda is continuing his official visit in China. Gaston Brown has attended a forum aimed at consolidating trade relations between the two sides. Zheng Chuning has more from Beijing. The Prime Minister attended a bilateral trade forum uh, and he delivered a speech emphasizing that uh, to promote trade and economic ties is one of the main priorities of his trip. And he calls for more people-to-people exchanges and intensify uh, coordination as well. During the forum, Chinese officials also expressed a willingness to enhance cooperation. He said that Antigua and Barbuda's trade uh, volume with China reached over 162 million U.S. dollars. Uh, and that is a year-on-year increase of over 72%. And in particular, China's imports from Antigua and Barbuda increased by more than four times. And that fully reflected, as he put it, the vigorous vitality of economic and trade cooperation between the two sides. And uh, the Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda said that China, Antigua and Barbuda ties serves as a great example of collaboration between small countries and large countries. And noting this year, marks the 40th anniversary of the establishment of the bilateral ties. He said that Antigua and Barbuda hope uh, its friendship with China lasts forever and expressed willingness to further strengthen the practical cooperation with China in many fields, including infrastructure, economy and trade, agriculture, environmental protection and water resources, and that it firmly adheres to the One China Principle, uh, which is a solid cornerstone of bilateral relations uh, that will never change. That was John Chuning reporting. Coming up, Hamas wants Gaza to be declared a famine zone. Discover the realities and responses to our changing climate with Climate Watch. Uncover critical issues such as the Maasai Mara's disrupted wildebeest migration and the drop in the Panama Canal's water levels. Delve into solutions for a sustainable future. Tune in to Climate Watch on your favorite podcast platform. Become more eco-conscious and take action to protect our planet. About 15 minutes past the hour. Hamas has called on the World Health Organization to declare the Gaza Strip a famine zone as Palestinians in the region begin to suffer from starvation amid food shortages. Senior Hamas official Osama Hamdan is calling for humanitarian measures to prevent the continuation and worsening of what he describes as a humanitarian catastrophe. Especially we need flour so that the people in North Gaza don't have to grind animal feed in order to stave off hunger and survive. This catastrophic event is happening on a daily basis. 
where the martyrs not only have to endure the bombing, burning, and being trapped under rubble, but also face the threat of hunger, thirst, and disease. Well, Hamdan's also urged more aid distribution to all people in Gaza. He calls for more pressure on Israel and the United States to allow aid to flow into Gaza to prevent a famine affecting millions of Palestinians. The head of three major UN agencies uh, say that uh, Gaza urgently needs more aid or its population will suffer from widespread famine and disease. The Israeli army has announced the deaths of 21 soldiers following an attack in central Gaza. Israel Defense Forces spokesperson Daniel Hagari says the attacks happened when soldiers were preparing explosives to demolish two buildings. According to what we know at this point, around 4 p.m., a rocket-propelled grenade missile was apparently fired at the tank that secured the force, and at the same time an explosion occurred in two two-story buildings. The buildings collapsed as a result of this explosion, at a time when most of the force was within it. Well, the army says the casualties were reserve soldiers aged between 22 and 37. The incident's the deadliest single attack on the Israeli military since its ongoing conflict with Hamas broke out in October. Explosions have shaken Yemen's capital after U.S. and British forces carried out a fresh round of strikes. The Pentagon says it targeted a Houthi underground storage site as well as missile and surveillance capabilities used by the group against Red Sea shipping. U.S. and British forces carried out eight strikes with support from Australia, Bahrain, Canada and the Netherlands. Multiple rounds of strikes have failed to stop attacks by the Houthis on Israel-linked shipping. The groups vowed to continue its assault until a ceasefire is reached in Gaza. U.S. President Joe Biden's mourned the loss of two U.S. Navy SEALs who died on a mission to seize Iranian weapons in waters near East Africa. The SEALs were reported missing while taking part in the operation off the coast of Somalia earlier this month. The U.S. military claimed that the uh, targeted boat was carrying ballistic missile and cruise missile components to be supplied to the Houthi militant group in Yemen. The boat was ultimately sunk by U.S. Navy forces. The United Nations is once again warned against the transfer of arms to Ukraine. The warning comes in the wake of an attack on a market in Russian-controlled Donetsk, killing at least 27 people. A Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, attended the UN Security Council meeting. The Hungarian foreign minister says the country will not participate in arms shipments to Ukraine. Hungarian foreign minister Peter Siarto said the Hungarian government is unwilling to bear any financial burden of arms shipments, but it respects the sovereignty of other EU members. Siarto also criticized a new proposal by the European External Action Service, aimed at setting up a 5 billion euro framework within the European peace facility for military aid to Ukraine. Western Balkan leaders have met in North Macedonia to discuss a European Union growth plan for their region. The plan contains a package of 6 billion euros or 6.5 billion U.S. dollars of investment that opens part of the EU single market to them in return for deep reforms ahead of their full membership in the bloc. North Macedonian Prime Minister Dimitar Kovacevsky says the plan is aimed at boosting regional cooperation. As announced earlier, we will discuss the growth plan for the Western Balkans, which truly represents a concrete action by the European Union to enhance regional cooperation among the states, including integration into the European market. Talks began yesterday with a joint dinner among leaders. 
European Commission Director General Gert Jan Koopman for Neighborhood and Enlargement Negotiations describes the plan as a game changer. To attend this leaders event on the uh, growth plan, which uh, is a potential game changer for the region, um, could uh, double the size of your economies in the next uh, decade. And it's very encouraging to see how the region has embraced uh, this concept, is working very hard on the reforms that will help unleash this growth. The European Union is trying to reinvigorate the enlargement process, which has been stalled since 2012, when Croatia became the last country to join. The U.S. Supreme Court's granted an emergency request filed by the Joe Biden administration to allow federal agents to cut through or remove the razor wire installed by Texas along the U.S.-Mexico border. The Supreme Court issued the brief order in a 5-4 vote. Texas filed a lawsuit in October after Border Patrol agents cut through some of the razor wire the state set up along the Rio Grande River. It claimed that federal agents trespassed and damaged state property and thwarted the state's efforts to block illegal immigrants. The Biden administration said in the request that the wire prevents agents from reaching migrants crossing the border and entering the United States. Alistair Baverstock reports. Eagle Pass on the U.S. border with Mexico, a Texas town in the eye of a migrant crisis storm. After wading across the Rio Grande, migrants are met by U.S. law enforcement for processing. Thousands of migrants have been crossing the U.S.-Mexico border along this stretch of the Rio Grande on a daily basis, stretching local law enforcement and migration authorities to their limit. Tom Schmerber has been the local sheriff for 12 years and was a border patrol agent for 26 years before that. He says 2023's migrant situation has been extraordinary. I never have I seen something like this in this area. I'm talking of more than three, four, five thousand uh, people crossing. They're just walking and they're not running. They're not running. They want to be apprehended. It's going to be more than 10, maybe 15,000 people coming within a, a, a week. Unbelievable. It's a situation that led the local government in Eagle Pass to declare a state of emergency, allowing the city to request additional federal funds to handle the crisis. For the sheriff's department, it's a matter of national security. We need the help of the federal government. It's overwhelmed. It, the, the police department, they have like 70 officers. We have much, much, much less than that. Yeah. And the criminal element takes advantage of that. They know we're going to be tied up. And then at the same time, they're crossing drugs and, and all that to the other side. However, once processed and admitted into the U.S., the migrants don't remain here. Giuseppe Garcia from Caracas, Venezuela, is bound for Miami, where he'll have a court date to argue his case for asylum. He hopes this will be the final leg of a four-month journey. I spent two and a half months in Mexico and the situation there is devastating. I couldn't wait on an appointment at the border any longer. Crossing the river is the only option. But while these migrants have reached the United States, some don't survive the arduous journey. Indeed, the border itself has become one of the major dangers they face on their quest to reach America. That was Alistair Baverstock reporting. 
A flash floods have inundated streets and homes in the city of San Diego as torrential rain hit much of the U.S. on Monday. Heavy rains from weekend storms in California flooded streets and freeways and even toppled trees. Waist-deep water inundated, uh, inundated parts of San Diego's Mountain View and Southcrest neighborhoods and the neighborhood, uh, or rather the northbound highway, Interstate 15. Uh, the National Weather Service said the San Diego River was flooding and warned that crossing roads would be unsafe. A week-long strike's underway at the California State University, where about 30,000 professors, librarians, coaches, and other workers walked off the job to demand higher wages. The stoppage across the university's 23 campuses comes two weeks after school officials ended contract negotiations with a unilateral offer of a 5% pay raise this year. That's far below the 12% hike that the union was seeking. Uh, with the new semester beginning this week, classes for many of the system's 450,000 students could be canceled unless faculty individually decide to cross picket lines. Professor Jennifer Egan says uh, she went on strike for a raise that would help them deal with inflation. I'm here on strike today with my colleagues because we really need a salary increase that helps us keep a pace with inflation. You know, all of us love teaching here. I, we love students. They're out on the picket line with us right now. And for all of those intrinsic rewards that we get from teaching, we still want to be able to work and be treated with respect. And that respect has a price tag. California Faculty Association represents around 29,000 workers. In December, CFA members staged one-day walkouts at four campuses to press for higher pay, more manageable workloads, and increased parental leave. Argentine President Javier Milei's criticized the organizers of a general strike planned for Wednesday. The General Confederation of Labor and other social organizations called the strike to protest a series of regulations Milei's proposed to deregulate the economy and rein in public spending. Its participants include transport, construction, and public sector workers. The president says the organizers of the strike aim to keep the country stuck in the past and in a backward state. He says his administration seeks to adopt another model that'll place Argentina on the path to development. The government has said it'll deduct the day's wage from public sector employees who miss work to take part in that strike. The Ecuadorian president's delivered security equipment to the armed forces and the national police amid a wave of violence. Daniel Naboa says the equipment includes over 21,000 bulletproof vests, more than 1,700 communication radios and drones. And he says the armed forces and national police will need more equipment in the future. In this moment, historic, where the country... In these historic moments, where the country was one step away from getting out of our hands, the national police and the armed forces proved to be up to these challenges. A historic moment because the people are suffering from a violence, extortion and drugs that poison and kill our children. The president adds that Ecuador will remain committed to supporting all uniformed personnel, defending citizens and the security of the country. You will have me in front of you as a shield against the infamy, against the criminals and against the corruption that will try to prevent you from doing your job. We had everything against us, but we are winning this battle. Violent deaths have gone from 38 a day to 6 a day. The goal is peace. The goal is to see our children and young people walking without fear in the parks and squares. 
More than 2,700 people have been detained since Naboa declared an armed internal conflict earlier this month after organized crime groups issued threats of war. Liberia has sworn in a new president following the November election. 79-year-old Joseph Boakai narrowly won the election and became the country's oldest president. He's vowed to unite and rescue the country from its economic woes. The president's pledged to improve adherence to the rule of law and to fight corruption. He added that the administration will focus on national reconstruction and renewal. Boakai served as vice president from 2006 to 2018 under the administration of President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. We're at 28 minutes past the hour. Check in the forecast ahead of the break. Beijing down to minus 8 on Tuesday evening. Wednesday, you'll see sunny skies and a high of plus 3. Nanchung's down to minus 5 tonight, then overcast and 3 degrees. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's at 2 this evening, sunny and 18 on Wednesday. Vientiane's at 16 degrees overnight, then cloudy and 24. Phnom Penh's 24 this evening, tomorrow's overcast and 34. In Africa, Nairobi, you'll see cloudy skies with a high of 28 degrees on Wednesday. Kampala is 19 overnight, then a light rainfall in 24. Ajuba is at 26 this evening, then cloudy in 39 degrees. And finally, to Port Vila, uh, it's 25 this evening. Tomorrow, a light rainfall in 31 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, rescue workers are still digging through the rubble in a village in Yunnan province following Monday's deadly landslide. China has released a white paper on its efforts in international cooperation in the fight against terrorism. And Hamas is urging the World Health Organization to declare a famine zone in the Gaza Strip. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. I love you. I this might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday, still to come. In business, Air China is adding flights for the Spring Festival travel rush. In sports, China's top-ranked women's player at the Australian Open puts on a dominating performance. In culture and entertainment, ice and snow tourism in Sichuan province. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, now here's Dohong Yu. Thank you, Shane. We start in China. Rescue and disaster relief work is still underway in Yunnan after a landslide struck a mountainous village in the province. At least 20 have been killed, while 24 others are still missing. More than a thousand rescue workers equipped with 45 rescue dogs and 120 vehicles are carrying out search and rescue work at the site in Zhenxiong County. The equipment includes excavators, loaders, and transport vehicles. Yuan Yunxian with a rescue team says they have deployed a special radar system to search for the missing. We've sent out a slope monitoring radar vehicle to keep an eye on the mountainous areas across from the landslide site. Since that's the only way for rescue workers to get through, it's crucial that we keep a close watch on them. Insiders say the search and rescue work may face more difficulties in the coming days as Zhengxiong County will experience low temperatures along with rain and snow. 
China's State Council Information Office has released a white paper titled China's Legal Framework and Measures for Counterterrorism. The white paper says terrorism is the common enemy of humanity, posing a grave threat to international peace and security. The document says China is a victim of terrorism and has long faced this threat. It says China is willing to work closely with other countries against terrorism. China's grain output set a record high in 2023, reaching more than 906 and 690 million tons. It's also the ninth consecutive year for the country's grain harvest to surpass 650 million tons. The Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda is continuing his official visit in China. Gaston Brown has attended a forum aimed at consolidating trade relations between the two sides. And now let's move on to the ongoing conflicts in the Middle East. Hamas has called on the World Health Organization to declare the Gaza Strip a famine zone as Palestinians in the region begin to suffer from starvation amid food shortages. Senior Hamas official Osama Hamdan is calling for humanitarian measures to prevent the continuation and worsening of what he describes as a humanitarian catastrophe. Especially, we need flour so that the people in North Gaza don't have to grind animal feed in order to stave off hunger and survive. This catastrophic event is happening on a daily basis. Where the martyrs not only have to endure the bombing, burning, and being trapped on the rubble, but also face the threat of hunger, thirst, and disease. Hamdan has also urged more aid distribution to all people in Gaza. Israel has proposed a multi-phase deal to Hamas through Qatari and Egyptian mediators, which includes a pausing fighting of up to two months. The deal would include the release of all remaining hostages held in Gaza. Meanwhile, Palestinians say Israel continues to bomb so-called green areas, where they say the Israel Defense Forces had told evacuees it would be safe. Israel has denied targeting civilians. In Africa, Liberia has sworn in a new president following the November election. 79-year-old Joseph Bokai narrowly won the election and became the country's oldest president. In his inauguration ceremony in Monrovia, Bokai vowed to unite and rescue the country from its economic woes. United people, but only united people, can build a nation. And when we plan to take Liberia in the next picture, we must refocus our political energy. With the elections campaign now behind us, I embrace all my fellow Liberians at home. And in the diaspora, the president has pledged to improve adherence to the rule of law and to fight corruption. He added that his administration will focus on national reconstruction and renewal. Bokai served as vice president from 2000, 2006 to 2018 under the administration of President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. A new study is warning that rising ocean levels are threatening the coastline of California, where 70% of the residents live. A report by the California Ocean Protection Council says sea levels are predicted to rise at an average of 24 centimeters by 2050, compared to 2000. The figure could go up by over 1.8 meters by 2150. Researchers say two major factors contributing to sea level rise are ocean warming. Caused by increasing greenhouse gas emissions and the melting of ice, 
They warn that sea level rise will bring about serious impacts on communities, such as more、uh, frequent and severe flooding and erosion. They also say rising sea levels will also cause rising groundwater levels, which will spread contaminants buried in the soil. And thank you very much. That was Do Hongyu with、uh, headline news. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, Air China's adding flights for the Spring Festival travel rush. The Beijing Hour, your window on China and the rest of the world. Thirty-seven past the hour. In business, we begin with the Chinese mainland markets, and they closed higher on Tuesday. Timothy Pope has more.、Uh, the Chinese mainland market staged a bit of a turnaround after China's cabinet, the、uh, State Council, met and outlined some extra measures to stabilize the stock markets and improve investor confidence. Stocks rose early, slipped lower again, and then climbed yet again before the end of the session. And we saw the Shanghai Composite rising about half of one percent, but it still remains. Below that key psychological、uh, 2,800 point level, most、uh, sectors were on the rise. Though、uh, one thing the state council meeting、uh, did stress was the need to get more long-term money into the stock markets.、Uh, China's markets have,、uh, certainly by global standards, an extraordinarily high level of retail or、uh, mom-and-pop investors. Bloomberg News was also reporting、uh, that the government is allocating 300 billion yuan towards market investment、uh, through fund management firms, which are. Part of the so-called national team of investors.、Uh, those reports also said the regulators are aiming to create a two trillion yuan market stabilisation fund using money from the offshore accounts of、uh, state-owned enterprises. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index increased around 2.6 percent. In Japan, the Nikkei lost nearly one tenth of a percent. Air China says it'll increase capacity, enrich travel products, and prioritize operational safety for the upcoming Spring Festival travel rush. The airline plans to operate over 67,000 flights during the festival, with an average of around 1,690 flights per day. The number is an increase of 32% compared to 2019, and 40.6% compared to last year. Over 110 routes are set for the international and regional markets, with an average of 187 flights per day. Additional flights will be added to key tourist cities across the country, such as Haikou, Sanyap, and Harbin. A capacity to Hong Kong, Macau, Taiwan, and certain cities in Southeast Asia will also increase. The flight volume of routes、uh, such as Beijing to Phuket and Wuhan to Macau will increase by 650 percent compared to last year. The 2024 Spring Festival travel rush starts on Friday and lasts for around 40 days. It's estimated that the civil aviation passenger volume will reach 80 million, and that'll be a new record. Entrepreneurship is seamlessly transferring between urban and rural areas in China thanks to the country's advanced digital infrastructure. The highly digitalized landscape has enabled the use of e-commerce live streams to promote a, a wide range of products, from co-、uh, from cosmetics to sportswear.、Uh, Zhang Shuxuan has more. Many of you may have bought things from a virtual store owned by a certain brand or an e-commerce company, but what makes my purchases different this time? Is the produce all came directly from the farms? The orange from the Meishan city in Sichuan province, around 2,000 kilometers away from Shanghai. These raisins from Xinjiang, almost 4,000 kilometers drive away. I made all these orders while watching live streams by farmers, and their down-to-earth style has turned out to be pretty popular with people in China's big cities. 
known as Xiao Mai, to his 60,000 followers. This grape farmer from Xinjiang has a good reason to smile. Sales are through the roof. I started hosting e-commerce live stream in October 2022. At that time, I got plenty of unsettable raisins due to COVID. But just a month after joining e-commerce live stream, more than 30 tons of raisins were all sold out. I even helped the farmers in neighboring village sell their raisins. We were getting 5,000 to 6,000 orders every day. His sales started to take root and sprout during the pandemic. But it's now become a full-time business, as it's created a new profitable way to make the deals that cut off the middleman. I sell raisins in my live stream at 19 yuan per 500 grams. 9 yuan is for express delivery. The rest of 10 yuan all goes to the farmer. But if there's a dealer, the dealer pays only 5 or 6 yuan per 500 grams to us for the raisins. And then they sell it at 20 to 30 yuan per 500 grams. He's no longer just selling his own produce. He's helped more than 100 farmers with their sales. Once I helped the farmer sell 10 times of dried red dates, I also helped another farmer. In 15 days, his mushroom covering a land of 300 mu was sold out. Then other farmers get to know me. All these farmers had their revenues double or triple last year, Xiaomai said. And he is just one of the more than 110,000 farmers that have joined e-commerce app Taobao to become a live stream host. Together producing more than 3 million streams. We have conducted training to help hosts develop their own style. And those who meet our requirements and certain quality can get cash bonuses and viewership promotion. And it seems not just a matter of online promotions. It's also critical to get the products to all the people who want it. Because profit margins are thin for farmers. It's crucial to bring down transport costs. I visited a cold chain logistics center in Shanghai. All goods first traveled here through main routes and will then be sent out to nearby places in the Yangtze River Delta region. The transport cost on main routes between provinces is roughly 1 yuan per kilogram, and the cost is largely lowered within the special development regions. For example, if you transport 3 kilograms of beef and mutton directly from Inner Mongolia to Shenzhen, it would cost nearly 70 yuan. But with the new model, using these shipping hubs, the cost is kept below 25 yuan. For smaller farm owners, there are also new solutions thanks to the rise of e-commerce live streaming. In a village growing apples in Shanxi, for example, there could be three to five live stream hosts. Together, their produce could fill up a 9.6 metre long truck directly heading to the distribution centre in Shanghai. That removes the need for three or four smaller trips. As of the end of 2023, SF Express helped ship out over 4.5 million tonnes of agricultural goods from rural areas, covering more than 6,000 types of fresh food. The delivery time of each parcel has now shortened by half a day on average. That was Zhang Shuswan on China's e-commerce, boosted by live streaming. China's banks are set to expedite financing approval for real estate enterprises through different green channels. Multiple banks highlighted their dedication to supporting first-time home buyers and those who are seeking to improve their housing conditions. We'll streamline approval processes and time through enhanced green channels. We are committed to providing greater support for the listed qualified projects and meeting the reasonable demands of real estate enterprises of different types of ownership equally. 
We will expedite service procedures to finance prompted projects so as to accelerate house deliveries. For projects which are facing temporary financial difficulties while maintaining a basic balance, we will defer or increase loans to stabilize the capital chain. The bank said they'll also make efforts to accelerate financing for affordable housing construction, shantytown renovations and public infrastructure development. Japan's top monetary authority has kept its short-term interest rate unchanged at minus 0.1 percent. The country's inflation has exceeded the Bank of Japan's target for over a year. But the central bank says it will hold off on a rate hike until it receives more evidence of inflation stabilizing at around 2 percent. China's relaunched its carbon market for greenhouse gas reductions, also known as the China Certified Emission Reduction Scheme. Since authorities paused the CCER in 2017, they've polished and released multiple regulations to strengthen its regulatory framework. The scheme is expected to play a significant role in achieving emissions reductions and renewable energy goals. At present, the trading market is mainly open to entities in major fields, including afforestation, solar power generation, and off offshore wind power generation. Green energy producers can profit by offsetting high operation or maintenance costs by selling carbon credits. Local authorities say the digital economy accounted for 42% of gross domestic product in Guizhou province last year. Official data shows that the province's GDP surpassed 2 trillion yuan, or roughly 278 billion U.S. dollars, registering a 4.9% increase from the previous year. The Provincial Development and Reform Commission says the province saw breakthrough growth in its computing power last year as one of eight designated national computing hubs. Over 70,000 intelligent computing chips are now in use, a 93-fold yearly increase. The province also reached a milestone in 5G infrastructure, deploying 35,000 new base stations across key areas, industrial parks, and transport hubs last year. Local authorities say the GDP of Hainan province grew by 9.2% in 2023, as booming tourism turbocharged its economic recovery. The island province reported a nearly 50% increase in tourist arrivals and a 72% rise in tourism revenue last year. More than 90 million tourists visited the province in 2023, pushing its tourism revenue up to around 181 billion yuan, or roughly 25 billion U.S. dollars. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China's top-ranked women's player at the Australian Open puts on a dominating performance. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. At the Australian Open, China's top-ranked women's player has staged a convincing display to reach the last eight at Melbourne Park for the first time in her career. It took 12th seed Zheng Qingwen less than an hour to dispatch unseeded Ocean Duda 6-love 6-3. Yeah, I'm quite like happy with my performance today because I finished the match really fast compared to the three rounds before. Of course, there's something I can do it better on court, but generally I'm, I'm quite enough with my performance today. 
Joan is now the only seeded player in her half of the draw, and next to face is Anna Kalinskaya from Russia. Another breakthrough performance from a Chinese player saw Chang Jijun break into the Australian Open men's double semi-finals with partner Thomas Mohach. The unseeded Chinese-Czech pair overwhelmed Ariel Bahar and Adam Pavlasic 6-3, 6-1 in the lopsided quarterfinal. In the men's singles competition, Novak Djokovic has become the first player to reach the semi-finals after he beat 12th seed Taylor Fritz in four sets. It's the 11th time Djokovic has made the last four at the Australian Open, and he ended up the champion the previous 10 times. Meanwhile, Wimbledon champion Carlos Alcaraz will meet Olympic gold medalist Alexander Zverev in the quarterfinals. Alcaraz stormed past Milma Kecmanovic in straight sets. The vault number two has dropped just one set so far in Melbourne. It's great, you know, to find this this level, to play this this level. On the court, I'm feeling better and better every day. I'm feeling better and better uh, every match that I that I'm playing. Uh, coming into the quarterfinal with a lot of confidence, so I I, I will try to take uh, to take this as an advantage, you know, to but uh, hopefully. In the quarterfinals against Sasa, we'll play a, a better match than, than today. Sivirev is into the quarterfinals for the third time, but is coming off some long five-set wins, including a four-hour battle with Cameron Norrie in the fourth round. The German player says it won't impact his physical status going to the Alcaraz tie. I feel okay. You know, I'm not like the US Open where I was completely dead um, and where... You know, I'm I'm physically exhausted. I'm tired for sure because I I played seven, six, and a fifth set two times out of the last three matches. But um, I'm not I'm not dead. I'm not in the same physical state I was in the U.S. Open. So I expect it to be very different, to be honest. Sivirev lost to Akaras in straight sets in last year's U.S. Open quarterfinals. Daniil Medvedev is also back in the Australian Open last eight after he beat Nuno Bogis in four sets and will next face Hubert Hurkacz. In the AFC Asian Cup, China is on the edge of a group stage exit after a 1-0 loss to coast Qatar. The Qatari captain came off the bench to smash a one-touch volley from 20 yards in the second half for the margin of victory. The Chinese team welcomed back winger Wei Shihao from injury but failed to score for the third consecutive group game. China's only hope of progressing to knockout stage lies in finishing as one of the top four third-place teams, but it highly depends on other group results. Coach Alexander Yankovic, whose current contract expires after the Asian Cup, insisted that the team was doing the right thing. About three games we played, yes. I said one part of this, and yes, uh, have to score, you have to uh, be sharp, be focused. And uh, my point about focus and sharpness and confidence is linked also to the uh, preparation games and uh, the attitude when we are together every day. So I insist on discipline in daily life, in everything we do, and then I expect that this final outcome will be different. Qatar finished the group play with a perfect record. Tajikistan joined the defending champions in the last 16 after beating Lebanon 2-1. Lautaro Martini scored a late goal and Inter Milan beat Napoli 1-0 in the Italian Super Cup final to lift the first trophy of the season. Martini struck in the first minute of stoppage time just as it appeared as if 10-man Napoli would take the match into penalties. It was Inter's third straight Italian Super Cup victory. Inter's attention will now turn to more substantial matters, having fallen one point behind new Serie A leader Juventus, which has played one more match. 
Mohamed Salah's agent says the Liverpool forward's muscle injury is more serious than first thought and could keep him out of action for nearly a month. Liverpool earlier announced the 31-year-old would be returning from Cote d'Ivoire, where he was representing Egypt in the Africa Cup of Nations. Salah planned to undergo treatment with the aim of returning to the tournament if Egypt progressed to the knockout stages of the competition. But that optimistic plan now looks to have suffered a significant setback. Chinese athlete Zhang Xinzhe has won his third medal at the Gangwan Winter Youth Olympics after bagging a silver in the men's 500m short track speed skating. Teammate Zhang Bohao took the lead but fell on the final turn as Zhang Xinzhe went up from fourth to second. One thing about short track speed skating is that it's completely unpredictable and uncontrollable. But if you don't give up and fight to the end, there's still possibility that you can step onto the podium or even top the podium. Finally, American skater Sean Shui took the gold medal. Right, thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, ice and snow tourism in Sichuan province. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. At 53 minutes past the hour now. Turning to culture and entertainment, ice and snow tourism is all the rage in northeast China, and now a Sichuan in the southwest is joining the fun. They're using their own snowy spots to ramp up tourism. A better services and cooler activities are making the region a new hotspot for winter fun. Gong Ming has more. Sichuan's geographical location makes it the region with the richest ice and snow tourism resources in low-latitude areas ideal for winter sports in southern China. Just over a two-hour drive from the provincial capital Chengdu, Xilin Snow Mountain is a popular destination known for its breathtaking natural scenery. This year, with enhanced online promotion and upgraded facilities, the resort has attracted a significant number of visitors from other regions. I come from Indonesia. This is my first time to see the snow. I see it from... And also, my friends recommend me to, to come here. The resort has upgraded its ski facility and introduced electronic ski passes, a first in the southwest region. Visitors can now purchase tickets through their phones or at a counter, eliminating queues and minimizing wait times for seamless skiing experience. I think it's uh, comfortable for our, um, for our because this one has if we go to inside, we can use this card for everything. This ski resort spans 200,000 square meters with seven ski trails and over 2,000 sets of professional skiing equipment. It can accommodate approximately 2,300 skiers at once, providing diverse activities and experience for all age groups. Even if you don't know how to ski, you can still have a good time here. It's a key highlight of local winter tourism. The area boasts abundant hot springs, creating a unique travel experience. Visitors really love it, and the first thing is our hot springs. After soaking in the hot springs, you can go skiing on the snow-capped mountains. Such a great combo. We are also rolling out a new policy soon. 
If you got a ticket for Xilin Snow Mountain, you get a 25% discount at our hotel. In recent years, Sichuan has become a key region for the southern snow and ice tourism market for leveraging its abundant resources. Since December, Sichuan has reduced the highway tolls and offered buy one get one free tickets at selected attractions to boost winter tourism. Various regions have upgraded their winter sports offerings, integrating culture and tourism to provide more visitors with the joy of winter activities. That was Gong Ming on winter tourism in Sichuan province. A new cartoon produced by China and Canada is visualizing a fantastical account of the mysterious Sanxingde civilization. Heroes of the Golden Mask, directed by Canadian animation veteran Sean Patrick O'Reilly, is now in Chinese theaters. Combining elements of fantasy and adventure, the film fictionalizes an ancient realm ruled by a king and protected by a team of five superpower warriors from various civilizations. After one warrior dies in battle against an evil invader, a troubled teenager in the modern world is unexpectedly chosen as the heir. The animation includes some of the most celebrated artifacts on show at the San Day Museum, including a bronze mask with protruding eyes, a nearly four-meter-high bronze tree, and a jade tiger. As Hollywood gears up to celebrate the best of cinema with the Oscars, the Golden Raspberry Awards have given nominations for this year's film flops. The fourth part in Sylvester Stallone's The Expendables franchise leads the Razzie nominations with seven. Stallone's nominated for Worst Supporting Actor with co-star Megan Fox up for Worst Supporting Actress. Other nominees include The Exorcist Believer with five nominations. Two big-budget superhero movies, uh, DC's Shazam! Fury of the Gods and Marvel's Ant-Man and the Wasp! Quantumania uh, both got four nominations. Described as the ugly cousin of the Oscars, the Razzies will uh, reveal its winners the day before the Oscars in March. Right, 58 minutes past the hour. Check in the forecast before we go in Beijing's down to minus 8 on Tuesday evening. Wednesday is going to be sunny with the high of plus 3. Nanchang's down to minus 5, then uh, tomorrow overcast and plus 3. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's at 2 this evening at sunny and 18 on Wednesday. Vientiane's down to 16 degrees and tomorrow's cloudy and 24. Phnom Penh's at 24 degrees overnight, then overcast and 34. In Africa, Nairobi will see cloudy skies with the high of 28 degrees on Wednesday. Kampala's at 19 overnight tomorrow uh, a light rainfall with the high of 24 degrees celsius and that's it for this edition of the beijing hour making news today rescue workers are still digging through the rubble in a village in yunnan province following monday's deadly landslide and china's released a white paper on its efforts and in international cooperation in the fight against terrorism on behalf of the staff shane bigham in the chinese capital hoping you'll join us for the next direction or edition rather of the beijing hour and open a window to the world together.